Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I was thinking when Dolph was uh, reading about uh, Isaiah's prophecy of God uh, making firm the feeble knees, we got like three people recovering from knee surgery, first time back uh, today. So welcome Boots, welcome Luther, Larry Zimmerman uh, as well. Uh, well, uh, among those of you who were here last week, uh, I have to confess uh, that a number of you uh, registered your displeasure uh, with the fact that uh, given the title of my message, I never even mentioned the comedian and talk show host Johnny Carson, uh, who for those of you who are a little bit younger, hosts The Tonight Show long before Jimmy Fallon and was introduced every week uh, with the words, here's Johnny. And uh, instead, I talked about uh, the words of the actor Jack Nicholson in the movie Shining uh, when he burst through the door with an ax uh, with those very same words, which was my feeble attempt to reintroduce you to John the Baptist, uh, who among other things uh, said to his congregation that the ax is lying at the root of the trees, which I'll get back to uh, in a minute. And so, now that I have mentioned uh, Johnny Carson, I hope you're happy. <laughs> Except to add, in case you don't know this, that Patty and I actually saw Johnny Carson. And uh, we were in the studio audience of The Tonight Show one time in Burbank, uh, California. And so with that, we come uh, uh, to uh, today's message, which is entitled, Here's Johnny, a.k.a. John the Baptist, part two, as we encounter him yet one more time before we wrap up the season of Advent and go on to our celebration of Christmas. And as I begin today, I uh, want to do so by introducing or maybe reintroducing uh, you to another great figure from history who is a man by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and represents a shrinking number of voices in this world uh, who speak the truth regardless of cost or consequence uh, to himself, even in the darkest of times. Dietrich uh, Bonhoeffer was a German Lutheran pastor uh, who joined the resistance movement against Adolf Hitler and the atrocities of the uh, Third Reich. And for that, he was arrested and thrown into a Nazi prison where he was ultimately executed in April of 1945 at the age of 39. Uh, however, it was during his imprisonment that uh, Bonhoeffer wrote prolifically and he raised some of life's most foundational uh, questions. One of his works uh, is entitled simply, Who Am I?, uh, which I want to share a piece of it with you and invite you to uh, listen to them, keeping in mind who wrote them and uh, the situation uh, in which they came. Bonhoeffer writes this, Who am I? They tell me I step from my cell's confinement calmly, cheerfully, firmly, like a squire from his country house. Who am I? They tell me I used to speak to my guards freely and friendly, as though they were mine to command. Who am I? They also tell me I bore the days of misfortune, smiling, proud, like one accustomed to win. Am I really that which others tell of? Or am I only what I know myself? Restless and longing and sick like a bird in a cage, struggling for breath, trembling for friends, weary and empty of praying. Who am I? This or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Or am I both at once? 
a hypocrite before others, and before myself a contemptible weakling. Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. And yet, whoever I am, you know, O oh God, I am yours. And I share Bonhoeffer's words with you today because not only do I think that we can all identify with them, but because they also place us uh, into a place of uh, great similarity with today's Advent uh, passage from Matthew chapter 11. After having been here last week and uh, being reintroduced to John eight chapters earlier as this uh, fierce, fiery, confident uh, preacher who called people to confess and to repent and to be baptized and to prepare the way of the Lord because Jesus was coming to be their judge with his winnowing fork in his hand to separate the wheat from the chaff with an ax lying at the foot of the trees to cut down every tree that does not bear good fruit, all of which are, of course, metaphors for, for people. John also proclaims Jesus as the one who would come to be the sacrificial lamb of God who would baptize people with the, with the Holy Spirit so that his message was a message of judgment and a message of hope all wrapped up into one. And now, it's eight chapters later, and the tables have turned, and the fortunes have been reversed, and the situation could not possibly be more different as we meet once again this fierce, fiery preacher, prophet, proclaimer, and he is languishing in the dungeon of a ruler or a tetrarch by the name of Herod Antipas, having been put there because Johnny, uh, who can't seem to stop talking, publicly condemns Herod for killing his own brother in order to seduce and marry his brother's wife, which is up there with anything you'll ever see on Netflix. And so because Herod did not like the fact that John was keeping this shameful story alive, he has him thrown into prison where he too would ultimately face execution. And so here is this man who has grown up in this uh, highly regarded priestly class of people who has become this great prophet uh, who attracts large numbers of people whose preaching is so powerful that somebody, some people actually think that he is the Messiah and now he is in prison alone and isolated and he begins to think of questions akin to those of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, except that his question is not, who am I? His question for Jesus is, who are you? Because John is languishing in prison, and he is asking more precisely, are you really the one who is to come, or should we be looking for somebody else? Are you really the promised Messiah? Or have I made the mistake of my life? And the question for us today is what in the world got into Johnny? What is it that transformed him from this fierce, fiery prophet and preacher to one who is wondering whether he has just committed a gross miscalculation about who Jesus even is? 
The answer to that question is, beats me. And that's because uh, biblical interpreters and translators and theologians uh, to this very day, after all these centuries, really do not agree on what it is that motivated or triggered John's haunting question. Some consider uh, the most obvious possibility that would probably pop into my mind or, or your mind, and that is that John's imprisonment triggered a crisis of faith in, in much the same way that, you know, it's easy for you and me to say, you know, God is good when life is good. But when the fortunes are reversed and things go south, we tend to question whether God is even out there for us when the going gets tough. And so here's John. He's alone, isolated in prison. And here's Jesus. And he's out there doing his messianic thing. Healing the sick, raising the dead, proclaiming good news to the poor, and get this, liberty to the captives in fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy when his own cousin Johnny is captive and facing certain death, about to lose his head. Other people come to the conclusion that John could not possibly be having this crisis of faith because he is a great prophet and and a fierce believer in God and that he is not worried about dying a martyr's death in Herod's dungeon. Rather, John poses this question because of the one to whom he pointed, whose way he prepared, is one who John said would be coming in judgment with the axe, with the winnowing fork, to judge his people. And yet, instead of acts of judgment, all John is hearing about in the ministry of Jesus are acts of mercy, healing, forgiveness, cleansing, and good news. And so the implicit question here is, you know, are you really the one to whom I pointed? And if you are, where are the acts of judgment? Because lacking them, people could have begun to doubt not only the credibility of Jesus' ministry, but the credibility of John's ministry as the forerunner, an advanced man for Jesus. And then some people uh, actually think that John poses this question not for his own benefit at all, but rather for the benefit of the disciples as a way of getting them close to Jesus because John's ministry was coming to a close. He must decrease while Jesus must increase. And he wants to ensure that his disciples become the disciples of Jesus without question. And so they conclude that John's question was really a clever way of pointing others to Jesus yet one more time. Well, we really don't know, but uh, there are some things that we do know that are very relevant. One is that uh, Jesus does exactly give uh, John's disciples a a front row seat at his healing ministry and then tells them to go back and, and tell John what they see and hear so that he can experience the power of that ministry as well. We also know uh, that Jesus uh, speaks with crystal clarity about the greatness of John, who is in no way a pushover, or as Jesus puts it, a reed shaken by the wind. And then finally, Jesus tells them that yes, he is the greatest in the kingdom. He is the one who is promised, the one who is to come. Not only to be our judge, but as I said last week, to suffer the judgment 
that sinners like you and me deserve. So the people like us, people like John, people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer can see the kingdom of God even from the prison cells of isolation and loneliness and illness and heartache and adversity and struggle and persecution. So that when I know who Jesus really is, then I know exactly who I am in him. And so even though we don't know with crystal clarity uh, what John's motivation was, what really triggered this haunting uh, question, all the options are out there. And they're all on the table for us as we make our way to another celebration of Christmas. And and they all speak to us in some way, shape, or form. Uh, For openers, I think they remind us that in your life, Jesus does not criticize or he does not judge you for the questions that you may have when uh, the fortunes are reversed or life begins to go south on you or trial or hardship or adversity uh, comes your way because if Matthew 11 says anything about it, it says that even prophets have their doubts and we all need the encouragement of God. And so I would encourage you uh, in the remaining days of this Advent season, to do exactly what John did. From whatever prison you might happen to find yourself and intensify your effort to reconnect with Jesus. Call him, talk to him, wait for him, listen for him speaking back to you in his words of life. Or maybe this passage is there to remind uh, me that my call as a representative, as as a child of God, a servant of Jesus, is to defer to his judgment and to not call for it over and over again and rather to witness the power that he has to transform lives throughout this world with acts of mercy instead. Or maybe this passage uh, reminds me of the power that I have and that you have to also point other people around you and in your life to Jesus, even in the midst of your adversity, your trial, your sickness, so that they might know that he is really the one and they they really do need to look no further. And then there's one other uh, thing that I want to point out today uh, that I think is frankly kind of easy to miss because frankly it isn't there. In other words, it has to do with what John does not say in today's Advent passage. What John does not do is ask Jesus to change his circumstances. Nowhere in the passage does John ask Jesus to come and set him free from his captivity in Herod's dungeon, which probably would have been my first request. On the contrary, All he wants to know is whether Jesus is the one who was promised, whether he is the Messiah, the Redeemer, and the Savior, and the Lord. Because when he knows that, then his life is made. His mission is accomplished. His ministry is not in vain. And that captive will have the kind of freedom that not even Herod can destroy or take away. 
And so he asks, he seeks, he listens, he hears, and everything is okay forever, come what may. And it's just that way. When you and I know who we are because of who he is, then we, in the good times and in the hard times and the joys and the sorrows and the gains and losses of this life, can stand apart from the crowd like John, like a 39-year-old German Lutheran pastor by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, like so many others across the earth and down through the corridors of time. And we can say, whatever I am, come what may, you know, oh God, that I am yours. And so, that's it for Johnny at least until another Advent, as we make our way to the celebration of Christmas and to a time of great rejoicing that Jesus is the one, that he has come, and because he is with us, we are his, come what may, forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you to...